Well, hi, everyone. Welcome. Today, we're going to hear from Sarah Foley. She is a public speaker, influencer, and soul-centered coach. What you'll learn today is how Sarah, in her words, said nine years ago, she was living her most beautiful, amazing, perfect life. And within six hours, her world changed and she was paralyzed. She talks about how the last nine years have made her the woman she is today. And she defines her life as being so beautiful. And if it was not for the trauma and the tragedy, she doesn't believe she'd be the woman she is today. Enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. We are two everyday women who have survived, thrived, been defeated, humbled, and spent our lives committed to embracing all complexities of being a woman. This podcast is dedicated to all women, all women searching for real conversations. We are gonna be exploring everything from sexuality, aging, menopause, physical and mental health, spirituality, marriage, divorce, and blended families. Everything is on the table, except politics. Every episode will be committed to engaging conversations that will include interviews with influential women, leaders, healers, authors, and good friends. Thank you for taking this journey with us. So we are so excited to be talking with Sarah today. Uh, Pieces of a Woman, as we know, is really about sharing our stories, honoring and embracing everything that really makes us the women and the souls that we are today. And Sarah Foley is here today to talk about her story. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Aloha. Thank you so much for having me on, you guys. So Sarah is a public speaker, influencer, soul-centered coach. Uh, you started Vertical Blonde um, on your Instagram account. Tell us about that. Vertical Blonde, um, you know, she, I call her she, because she's sort of this version of myself um, that really came out of my own healing journey. Um, it started as realizing that our words have a lot of power. Like what we call ourselves and what we say to ourselves over and over and over really has power to manifest and come true. And I'm a firm believer of that. And the name Vertical Blonde just came out as like a catchy name to call this blog, to keep friends and family abreast of my progress and my own healing, which was originally just physical therapies and so forth. Um, And I thought if my goal one day is to be vertical and walk again, I got to start calling myself Vertical Blonde. But what happened, and I feel like it's the magic of this story is that I really became this version of myself. I became vertical blonde. Like I, it became this mindset, this movement within my own life of how to see obstacles and how to keep going and through the healing, not the denying and really utilizing and embracing everything that happens as sort of this stepping stone to take you higher and higher and higher as this next level version of yourself. So it's it's a mouthful of what vertical blonde really is but truly like i call her my just iconic identity that i created in this whole process and what i was doing is i was really getting in touch with all these attributes that were true to me they were true to my soul that 
Sarah has collected a lot of limiting beliefs over the years. Like Sarah is still really worried about what people think. She's still really competitive. She she still has all these old stories playing and that she's healing through. And I feel like Vertical Blonde is like when I really step into who I meant to be and I can put all those limits aside. And I I call like the different parts because I, I went into a lot of healing with um, internal family system therapy and that's parts work. So you kind of start to dissect these parts of you, which is kind of cool. Well, and I think for our listeners to really understand why um, Vertical Blonde and what you're talking about, we need you to you know kind of take us back to nine years ago and let's share uh, with our audience kind of what that looked like and what you've been doing for the past nine years. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's truly a beautiful story. And I, and I say that every part of it has been so beautiful. Not so much when you're going through it, but aftermath can be really quite enlightening. So uh, nine years ago, I just turned 30 years old um, that year. And I was I was really living a high life. Like I was at such a beautiful place in my life. I'd worked really hard to get to the spa director position up at Park City. Um, I was running the spa. I was making really good money. I'd just gotten out of a bad um, marriage relationship that had just should have ended a long time before it did. And um, just feeling really good. And I met this new guy, Sean, and we were having so much fun. We were on all kinds of adventures. We were just doing really fun things and trips and um, it just felt really good. And one weekend him and I decided to go down with another couple to Brian Head to Southern Utah and stay in his friend's cabin, friend of family's cabin. And the other couple that we went with, the guy was a, a mechanic for ATVs and dirt bikes. So he brought down like a trailer worth of toys just these um, four wheelers, there was a dirt bike. And so we decided to go out on these um, one day of the weekend. Before that though, and I feel like it's such a big part of the story is that Sean and I went out for a hike that morning, just the two of us. And at one point we were at like this gorgeous lookout, looked like, like before time had started, it was just those big, beautiful red rock formations. And we were the only people around. And I just turned to him and I was like, man, my life is perfect. Like there's nothing about it I would change. And I just really sat in that moment of how beautiful it was and how grateful I was that everything just seemed to fit really perfectly. Um, and then about four hours later, we ended up meeting up with uh, Jim and his girlfriend. And, you know, every step of this story, it was Sean really trying to keep me safe. So he's like, look, I'm going to give you kind of a crash course. I was really ill-experienced. These guys had all grown up on one. So he's like, I'm going to go through, show you how to use it. Um, we're giving you a helmet. We're going to put you on the biggest, most sturdy one. Um, and we're going to just take this fire access road. We'll go for a picnic. Look at the leaves changing. Just a really nice road, um, a really nice drive. And so as we went up along, I'm getting more and more confident on this machine, feeling really exhilarated. And at one point, we couldn't quite tell where the road went, like up and around this bend of kind of the hill. And the guys were like, look, we're gonna go make sure this is safe on the other side, um, so we'll be right back. So we went on up ahead and we saw Jim on top of the hill, waving us up saying, you're good, come on up, you're good. And what we didn't realize was that Sean was coming down the hill to let me know that it was safe. 
And so I went, started going on up ahead. I was in front. And as I went up, um, I saw Sean come around the bend right at me and I panicked. And my inexperienced brain was like, just get off the trail. Like whatever you gotta do, get off the trail. So I jerked the wheels and what's so crazy is that everything just really does happen in slow motion in those moments. And I remember looking back and seeing that he had thrown himself so far to the side. His was like up against the hill, so he could only go so far, but he was all against the wall. And if I would have just kept going straight, I would have been fine, but I didn't. And my front wheels caught the ditch and I just started flipping and I was holding on for dear life, screaming, Yet, yeah, it was just like this piercing silence almost, um, except for just this crunching that I will never get out of my head, uh, bones just being crushed under this machine. And it flipped on me about three times and finally um, threw me against this fallen tree stump. And everything was just like buzzing. I just remember like time had stood still and I could see how far he'd flipped by how long it was taking Sean to get there. He was just terror over his face. He's running after me. And um, I just screamed out to him. I said, you know, don't move me. Call Life Light. How's my face? And he still kind of gives me crap about that. He's like, your priorities might have been a little like all over the place. But in my head, I was like, I am mangled. I'm like, my nose is in the wrong place. Like, I don't have a face. Like, I just thought I was mangled. Like, I just pictured bloody from head to toe. And he gets up to me and he's like, your face is beautiful, but I have no idea about the rest of your body. There's not an ounce of blood, not even a carpet burn on my body. It was just all broken bones. So my clavicle had snapped in half and that's the side I landed on. Um, that was the part that was really causing the most pain. I was kind of holding myself up yet not wanting to move. Um, I kind of went right back to my second grade teacher teaching us like when you're in an accident, you absolutely don't move, right? right? Like that's the most important thing is that you don't move. So I was holding myself up and, you know, I just remember thinking, you know, if you don't move, everything will be fine. And we waited for about an hour and a half till life life came. And at that point, you know, having to make some phone calls and really comes to grips with what the heck was going on. How did that all happen? Sean was intense, just distressed, like he could not calm down. He was in such a state of panic um, to the point where I was like, come sit with me. Let's let's be still. Let's be still in this moment. I think because all along I just knew I was going to be OK. Like it never went through my mind that I wouldn't walk away from this. And um, so Life Flight finally gets there and they get me out to Las Vegas Hospital, which is further away from home. I'm living in Sandy, Utah at that point. And Sean can't come with and he has to drive and meet me and make some more phone calls. And they take me away and, you know, morphine hits and you're pretty much out of it. What I didn't learn until just about two years ago, as I was talking to my mom about just the chain of events was that I actually did make one phone call before they took me to surgery. And it was to my mom. And she said, you know, she had gotten on a plane as soon as she got the news. As soon as she touched down, opened up her purse, and I was calling at that moment. And she said, I sounded so scared, so terrified, almost childlike. And she said um, that I said, you know, the doctors think if they can relieve the pressure that I'll be able to walk again. And 
just that everything just kind of went into perspective in that moment of like, we're dealing with some serious things here. So later on, I would realize that, you know, relieving that pressure in our lives means us really getting to a place of walking the path that's meant for us, relieving those pressures of what we think we should do and obligations and all kinds of different things. So um, that ended up being really powerful to learn later on uh, after the fact. But so anyways, so I came came to about 10 hours later um, after all the surgery was done, two rods, nine pins, a plate in my clavicle. Um, and my so the, the issue that was happening was that my spinal cord got compressed by the broken bones. It never got severed. And we were all really holding on to this possibility that if everything just kind of relieved the pressure or, you know, the swelling would go down, that everything would start talking again. I think the reason why my my recovery ended up going so well is because the support system. I mean, immediately when I woke up, it was like my mom, my stepdad, my brother, my grandpa, my uncle, my aunt, my cousin, three girlfriends from three different states. Everyone just kind of went into autopilot. And the one that stuck out the most and the one that was so pivotal for me and again, my journey was my aunt Stacy. And at one point she comes in she gives me this hug and in her ear, I just crack out the word, why? Like, why did this just happen? And she pulls away and she just says, don't you ever ask why? Getting that answer is going to eat you alive. And that answer is only going to come when it's supposed to. And so I made that decision right then and there of like, I'm just not going to go there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid that question. I'm going to avoid it at all costs. And I really think that is why my journey just kept getting more and more healed and evolved and so much growth. And, you know, you can really tell someone's sort of success in where they are and where they're going by if they play the victim. And you know, what are the things that they're asking? Are they saying, why does this always happen to me? Or why me once again, all these things? It's like, well, then your brain's going to give you an answer to that. But instead, if we can ask, like, how is this serving me? Or what am I learning? Or what do I need to do next? Like, your brain's going to answer that too. So I really do think that that was so pivotal. But um, yeah, so from there, it's just been so much growth. <laughs> So much healing. I mean, Sarah, that is that, your story. I mean, we all, I think a lot of us are guilty of, we think our life's going to go a certain way. And I've got this planned out and I've got this planned out. It's going to go a certain way. When something so um, traumatic and, I mean, life altering happens, I think that's rare that everybody just comes out feeling that way and not asking why. What great advice that you Yeah, I'm so grateful for that. I I give her credit any chance I get to because it really was so powerful. And I asked her later on, I was like, how did you come up with that? And she said, you know, I was asking the same question, but she's like, for whatever reason, I just got the sense that like I needed to show you like strength and assertiveness, even though inside she's like, I was asking why too. She's like, I was a wreck inside seeing you like in this hospital bed in the trauma unit and having to give you such a stern and clear answer. She said that was, that was outside of herself. So 
So did you ever go through a period where you were like, okay, what, how do I get past this? I would think there would be some grief involved. I would think there would be, I mean, I know there's obviously the healing journey, but did you have some of that? Absolutely. You know, the, the grief part, I really got stuck in denial for a really long time. Um, the, the big thing for me was, you know, I had all this attention, all this love while I'm in the hospital. Yet, as soon as I got home, yeah, everyone went back to reality and I had no reality to go back to. Ugh. And so that was where like the, the grief of what had happened started to set in. But a couple things were going on there. One is that everyone tells you you're such an inspiration and you are literally trying to get through the day without peeing your pants being able to put your own clothes on, you know, like getting through the pain, like you are just trying to survive and being told you're such an inspiration. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like giving the trophy to even the losing team, right? It's like, they know they didn't win. They know they didn't deserve the trophy. So there's that kind of aspect. And then inside you're just like, I'm really just trying to survive, but then it puts this undue pressure that you got to maintain that and that people are looking to you to be their inspiration, right? That has almost this adverse effect on what's happening with the, the, you're in the inspiration. And then behind the closed doors, I was like beating up my legs. I was hitting them. I was yelling at my legs for not working. I was having such immense depression and heartache yet my whole life it was all about denial right like you just put on the happy face you just look like everything's perfect you don't show that anything's wrong you get through life you make it all happen and you don't really face those feelings and that's really kind of how i've gotten through life in the first place you know just kind of being everyone's ray of sunshine and realizing that was kind of a defense in itself and i think a lot of women can relate to that one Whereas now I think a lot of women are really stepping into life is ugly and it's not meant to be perfect all the time. And there's going to be so much hard moments that, that aren't going to look perfect. They're not going to look pretty. Um, but that, that really kind of hurt me in that, in that phase. So that's kind of a point where I did get a little suicidal. Um, you know, each morning you have to go through, you know, an extensive like bowel routine and do all these like medical things that are so not pretty and so not perfect. So not the way you think life's going to go. And I just remember thinking like, how hard would I have to throw my head against this floor to just end it? And yet, on the other hand, I would always just think of Sean and my mom, and they had already viewed my funeral. Like I already saw them at my funeral. And I was like, there's just no way I can do that to them after I've already seen it, right? So that's what, that was literally the only thing kept keeping me going there for a little while. After kind of only so many times you can watch The Price is Right, and that was like the highlight of my day for a while, (laughs) I was like, I got to get moving back in life. And so luckily I did have that job. I had a job where everyone needed me. And so right now I was in a place where I needed help. I needed, I wasn't even driving yet. Like I needed to figure out how to get independent again. So getting back to work became my biggest focus. 
getting back to a place where I was again needed. So I went back to work within seven months of the accident. Um, and I do feel like I did multiple things just to pretend like it didn't happen. But in retrospect, they really helped to keep me going because where I was in the grief process, if I didn't have something that was taking my purpose, taking my sense of purpose and my, you know, my focus, then it, it was just going to keep going down the other direction. And I think that that's true for a lot of people. You know, if you don't have something that gets you out of bed every day, sometimes there's not a reason to get out of bed. So um, went back to work. Sean and I, you know, we we got married on the anniversary date of that accident. Again, trying to make it a good day, not a bad day. Um, we just really did everything we could to avoid that what had happened. So we got stuck in in the place of of avoidance and denial in the grieving process for sure. Do you feel like that there's some okayness with um, what you're talking about? So the masking, um, some of the things that we do to, like you said, avoid, but it's almost kind of like our survival for a period of time. And I think that, you know, it's, there's some beauty in being okay with living in that place, just as long as we don't stay there. And, mm-hmm. but we do need to allow it and lean into it kind of like what you were saying um, with the grief piece. I agree. I think just being able to name it though is really important. I didn't name it. Okay. Right? I didn't, I didn't name I'm in grief right now. I need to work this out. I was, I just need to get out of it and avoid it at all costs because healing is scary. Healing is a, it's overwhelming. It's intense. And I think that when we don't name what it is, then we think something's wrong with us. When we can say, I'm grieving, I'm fully grieving this perfect life. I would literally like, look at my hands, my, my hands together, just look and say, I had it. It was here. I had it in my hands and it's gone. And I didn't name that I was in grief. I just thought I was supposed to get through it and keep happy face and be that inspiration and just get on with life. Whereas I kind of wish I had me as a friend back then to say, look, it's okay. You're grieving. And if you weren't grieving, then something might be really wrong. Like, yes, of course you're grieving and that's okay. And, you know, I would later in my, journey find this most amazing therapist that really taught me two really big things one is that emotions and feelings are like this piano right and there's got the really low notes and the really high notes and for those masterpieces and those beautiful orchestrated moments to happen you literally have to use every single note and they become this beautiful piece that becomes your life And then she also said one that I think of all the time. And she says, if we can back up enough, not in our past and in history, but like in space and get this bird's eye view, we see it's this perfectly choreographed dance. And we may not even see how the dance ends in this lifetime. It might be what happens to us now does something great for someone down the road in our family or has met us or whatever that we may not even see it come to life, but that it's perfectly choreographed. And I liked that version of perfection more than the perfect life that I thought I had because it was perfect because it was easy. 
and it looked good and it it checked all the boxes, right? In love, good money, great job. Like it checks all the boxes, but there was no growth. There was no challenge. There was no healing. Like this whole thing has cracked me up to healing things from childhood and things that have gone in my life and now prepared me to heal through the things that come into my life now in real time instead of having to wait 30 years to heal from them. So you talked about your aunt who kind of gave you this little wake up call with the why and, you know, you eventually brought in a therapist to kind of help you navigate your journey. Where was that defining moment for you? At what point did you take all of this, have that defining moment where you went, okay, this is where the direction I'm going with how I think, feel, act, all of that? It was when I finally had to face things. And as beautiful fate would have it, or on purpose, however you want to look at it, um, Sean ended up getting a job transfer opportunity to Maui. And he was like, Maui, like, oh my gosh, that's the dream. We were there for my best friend's wedding. And while we were there, he met the sales director and she like offered him a job while we were on vacation. It was crazy. And I got cold feet on that twice. I literally backed out of us moving twice. He's like, it is Maui. You are insane. What is wrong with you? And I was like, I have to leave my job. I have to leave the last piece of me that I had from before the accident. Like, I don't know how to leave that. I don't know who I am if I'm not a spa director. And so that I didn't realize how much of an identity I placed on that role of like, I'd worked hard for it. I'm spa director. That's it. So if I left, it means I got to start over. I got to start like actually choosing how I want to live and what I want to do. So we finally made the move. He convinced me, thank God, um, that we moved to Maui. And it was then that I said, I'm going to heal. I'm going to walk. That was the goal. I'm going to walk again. And so in that, I thought, for whatever reason, Maui's calling. So it must hold some beautiful energy or some healer or naturopath. I don't know. I was just like, I'm going to open myself up to everything. I'm going to learn different ways of eating. I'm going to embark on different physical therapies. I'm going to do all the beautiful things. I'm going to let the ocean air heal me. Like I was just so convinced that it was going to get me walking again. And that's why I created the blog was I'm going to keep family and friends aware of what's going on and do that through Vertical Blonde. And when you're working so hard at something that you have zero results in, it's really taxing. All day long, I'd like do meditations and try to do physical therapy and all these things and toes weren't moving, legs weren't walking, and it starts to really wear on you to the point where I was like, I got to start thinking of other things. Right. I got to start doing other things. And so I started like I started writing a lot. And in that writing, I started processing so much of what had happened. All that journaling started happening. All that just like getting those emotions down to paper, which, oh, my gosh, it's so transformational. You can just get it out of your head and onto paper. I started meeting very well people that had stories that touched my heart and hearing what other people had gone through and um, 
that's when I met the therapist and that's when I started working out instead of physical therapy. I just started loving my body again and using a personal trainer. And then I started embarking on personal development. And it it just takes that first little step of talking to people, hearing their stories and doing it with such an open heart of like, I just kind of believed whoever I was guided to had something for me. And so anytime I would meet someone new, it was just like, what do they got, right? Like, what is the wisdom I'm supposed to get here? What is the knowledge? What's the lesson? And I just started looking at every situation that way. And I think even now that I say it like that, I realize how important that was, that everyone you meet, you realize you've got something for them. And I think in sharing my own story, I had something for them. You know, like we had something for each other. So that was really powerful. Um, but the therapist, the personal trainer, um, those were really big people in that journey for sure. And then you build up that confidence, right? Then you then you're like, what other books can I read that I felt too dumb to read before? And what other things could I learn? And you just start building up that confidence in yourself. Oh, that is great. I think you bring up a couple of things that that hit me the first time we spoke. And then you said it again today is people would say you're so inspirational and you're not trying to be inspirational. You're trying to survive. I think that's a really valid point. Did it shift at some, some time where you, you realized the power of you just surviving is inspiration to other people? Did, did that click for you at some point? Yeah. You know, I had a big slap of reality on once with this. It was actually kind of funny because, you know, in the disability community, it's a common thing. Like, I'm not your inspiration, right? Like, if I'm doing something inspirational, like writing a book from it or speaking or helping others heal, like, yes, by all means, I am I feel like I'm a very inspirational person, but it's not, I wasn't inspirational when I was just trying to survive. So that's kind of the differentiator there. But to to go back to kind of the story, I was asked to come out to this personal development conference and there was a housing uh, group that they would get these big houses and, you know, put up a ton of people from the conference and you'd travel back and forth with them. And they were like, we want to start embarking and doing um, an accessibility house. So one that's accessible and we can, you do different disabilities. Can you just come out and give us all the insight? Tell us everything we're doing wrong, basically. So like, absolutely. That sounds amazing. What I didn't realize was that I was the only one that would stay in that house that wasn't blind. It was a huge blind community that was going to this event. And everyone else in this accessibility house was blind. And then I was the only one that could see. And I got the wheelchair and I'm like, oh, I've never been around this many people that can't see. It blew my mind. And I got there and they all did the exact same thing. They went through the house. They literally kind of tapped their way through, got the, you know, like in their mind, they had painted the picture of where they were. The one girl's doing her makeup, the other guy's cooking like on the stove. And I'm going, you guys are so inspirational. And then I comment them, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're just doing, they're just living normal lives. They're not doing anything that's supposed to be inspirational. It's like caught myself doing it. So now I have so much more compassion when people say that. And I, I almost tell that story to the other people that are in the disability community. I'm, I'm 
often talking to other wheelchair users, but I'm like, look, like it's just because it's something so out of the norm of what we can comprehend. That is inspirational. That's fascinating because we are doing life in a very different way. So I, I've developed a new relationship with it, but I think I had to have that lap reality to do so. Well, I think, you know, it's, I mean, that's awesome because it's a whole different perspective. And when we really can like be self-aware a little more, um, we get to experience or at least understand that. And um, what we don't know, we don't know. Totally, <laughs> totally, absolutely. So Sarah, tell us where you are today. What are you doing? And what are you loving about what you're doing? I love my life. Like if I thought things were perfect before, I had no idea what this was setting me up for. I, so much, I don't even know where to start. Um, had a baby, he's six now. Being a mom is so beautiful, but being raised with a mom with a disability, like Charlie's got it made because he's got moments after moment that he realizes what he's capable of because there's so much that I can't physically do for him. So I am obsessed with teaching this way, although it does bring a whole bunch of heartache at the same time, but there's a lots of growth and beauty in that as well. Um, I'm also really stepping into, I think my full potential. And, you know, I've been trying to figure out exactly what it is that I do. And I think what I do is I take people through a journey and I've gotten feedback that I'm able to create a really safe space for people to open, to share, to grow, to stumble, to succeed, to do all the things that we're really scared to do in front of other people and taking them from pain to healing, to finding purpose in that healing and pain and then going on to share it and actually creating a business or earning a profit from it. I call it making a purposeful profit. So by taking people through that, um, it's beautiful because nine times out of 10, when people find healing, which it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing, Christy, is that once you find healing, you get to this place that you want to share it and you want to share what you've learned and you want to serve and you want to support and you find a lot of your healing through serving. And so that's really cool. So taking people from those early days of price is right and denial and all those weird things that you go through out of trauma and you finding joy and you finding beauty and you finding healing and you finding your people then you find your voice and then you find your your trust within yourself that confidence and then you're like ah oh, i've got something to give now i've got i've got wisdom of my own like now i'm one of those wise women in hawaii like that i was searching for so I love that. And I do that through workshops and courses and leading teams through it, which is really cool. Um, and then public speaking, which any moment that I've got a stage, I just feel like it, I just feel like I'm home. There's something really special that happens that I know I'm in the right place when, um, when I'm just on that stage. All my life, I think I'd been called to that. 
either in front of a camera or on a stage. And I did it. I know I used to do it a lot more for the significance, right? Like moved out to California to be an actress in my 20s and all the things. But now I feel like there's so much substance in what I say on that stage that it feels just like I'm home. Oh, that's beautiful. Tell us um, about soul-centered coaching. Are you still offering that? Absolutely. I love doing this in the group setting. Um, some girls want it one-on-one, -on -one, but there's something really rich when you do it with other people. And in Hawaiian, there is something called your na'au. And it's N-A apostrophe A-U, na'au. And it's your knowing. It, it You can hold it. It's right underneath your rib cage at your solar plexus. And they say that it's the seat of thought. It is the unification of your heart and mind. This is where your soul knows its purpose, what it's supposed to do, what is supposed to happen, why things are happening. Like all the knowledge we need, every question we ask is already within us. Or we know who to ask to find out. Like we know, even though sometimes we're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to believe it. That, that might be a little hard or a little scary. But deep within us and that's that's our soul like that's our soul's knowing and i think that if we can really get to that because you know what it's like when you you've got that intuition sense you've got that like that spark of inspiration or or you meet someone and either you just have an instant connection or you're like not going to trust that person like you've got this this moment of of clarity of just pure knowledge and i think we hear it in a different place, right? Like almost the voice within comes from a different place. And that's what it means to really get in touch with that part of ourselves, that real core sense of who we are. And then we utilize our brain to help us work out the details and the logistics. Typically our brain is there to talk us out of everything and say we're not good enough and give us all our limiting beliefs and all the yada, yada, yada. But if we can quiet that mind, we get in touch with our soul's knowing, our deep inner knowing, then we can follow our heart, follow the emotions and use our mind for what it's there for. So that's what it means to do soul centered coaching is that who, who are you at the, at the root, at the soul of who you are. And being able to really look at that, right? I think that's the hard work is to really look at it honestly um, to do the work, but that's really powerful. What what are your goals and your hopes going forward? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Next five years, that gets me so excited. I My face hurts already from smiling. I can feel it. I really, really would love to do a lot more public speaking, getting on more stages with a very diverse group of people. Right now, everyone has felt like life flipped them upside down right? Like everyone's life kind of took a tumble on an ATV almost. And so there's so much resistance of what's going on. And I think that if we can get to kind of the root of our, our soul's purpose, we can get to the root of what needs to be healed, what needs to be forgiven, what needs to be let go, and then also what needs to be embraced, then we can move forward with just so much more passion and vitality. Whereas if we're in the resistance, we're spending all of our energy on resisting what is happening and instead sinking into what needs to be healed, what needs to be let go and where are we truly supposed to be. You know, I think it's a really beautiful time right now 
because it's sort of like, you know, when I got hurt, I, I kind of felt like I had a second chance at life. Like something was supposed to take me out and it didn't. And I think that that can give you a sense of vitality. And I think that that's happening with a lot of people with job losses or even realizing how, how, you know, fruitful things really are. Futile. I think is the wrong word, but, um, that they're realizing like life is way too short and life is way too precious. And what do I really want to do? And I think being able to step into that and get people thinking in those terms, um, it'll really help them to, to thrive and to leave without regrets. So that I think I just answered way too long, but doing a lot more of that kind of speaking where I can get people in touch with that, especially women. I'm so touched by just working with women um, specifically, um, disabilities or not disabilities, but whatever they may go, be going through. Um, love to continue writing my book. Um, that brings me a lot of joy as I talked about before of just writing and then continuing to do a lot more of these workshops. Well, Sarah, I think um, you have so much to give. I agree with you. I, I kind of, it resonates with me so much when I think about um, how much sadly, when something like this happens, whether it's what you've been through, we talk about, you know, everyone has a story and um, really honoring our stories is not dismissing whether it was as bad as someone else's or um, maybe not, you know, mine's, mine wasn't that. Um, but it does allow us to have perspective, which I think helps us with our growing and processing. And I think about where I was, it'll be five years in January after losing Taylor. And I think about the person I was, and I don't, I don't know who that person is anymore. And I really, you know, sadly through the tragedy of losing him, I transformed and I don't know that I would ever be the person I am today had I not gone through this. Not to say that, you know, I don't, I would take him back every second, but I don't know that I wouldn't have the perspective that I have, the compassion that I have, the openness that I have um, through this trauma that I've been through. And so listening to you and hearing your story um, is so compelling. And I think our listeners um, will be able to resonate with, you know, hopefully being able to do the work and let go of that victim place, because there's so much to life that you can continue to be living with joy and purpose and intention. And so thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, I feel so honored. I know Deanna as well. I want to ask you before we get all of your, how we get a hold of you and how do we find you? I want to ask you, and I think I have, I know kind of what you're going to say, because you have so many great words and um, such great perspective, but tell us what you would tell your 20 year old self today. Oh my gosh. You know what? Someone just asked me the other day, what I would say to myself waking up in the hospital. Um, and that I'd never really been asked that before. Um, and before I get into my answer, I just want to say that what you've reached is called post-traumatic growth. And I think that it is absolutely the ultimate goal when we find so much growth and so much beauty out of our traumas, they are there to serve us. Those traumas are absolutely 100% there for us. And I just think that that's beautiful. And so 
just so incredible for you to be able to say and just be able to experience. I think it's incredible. So thank you for sharing that. Um, to my 20-year-old self, <laughs> my 20-year-old and 30-year-old are very different people. <laughs> I'd probably first come in and just say, it's not all about you. Let it go. Let the facade go. Let the performance go. Although the performer in you will serve you, it's not going to be what you are trying to make it for the significance, I should say, versus with a sense of purpose. But I'm going to say, you're going to like who you become. You're really, really going to love who you become. And it's through the trials that you actually get to choose who you become in the process of overcoming them. That is very much a choice. And all the choices that you are making and are going to make are going to serve you. Wow, that's really powerful. That is beautiful. We should wrap it up right there. <laughs> oh my gosh, Sarah, that's beautiful. That's very profound. Okay, tell us how our listeners can find you. So Vertical Blonde, baby, everything's Vertical Blonde, Instagram, Vertical Blonde, and verticalblonde.com um, are always the best ways. Um, I love Instagram, so send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear what resonated the most or perhaps what you're struggling through and see how I can serve you. Awesome. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much, Sarah. Amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment.